We are in Genesis chapter 3, and we read, the last time I, I, I taught on this, we read through about verse 7. So we're going to pick it up again, and let me just read verses 1, one onward, so it just gives us the context. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the, tree, from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took it from, she took from it its fruit and ate and gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So we covered this portion last time, but let me let me just pick out a few things here. Jesus said that in, in Jesus said in, in John in that that uh, uh, Satan is the father of lies because he is the first one to lie, and this serpent is actually not revealed very strongly in the in in the Tanakh in the Old Testament. It's revealed to us actually uh, quite strongly in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12 and in Revelation chapter 20, it tells us that this serpent is Satan. So, for example, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down to him. So if you were to speak to an Orthodox Jew they would say, well, we're really not sure that that serpent was Satan. Because that's revealed to us quite strongly in the New Testament, both in Revelation chapter 12 and in Revelation chapter 20. So this was a manifestation where Satan is coming as an upright creature. And because it's later that he, he, he's cast down to, to, to wallow upon his belly. But here, Satan, and we talked about this last time, how he just twisted and twisted and twisted, and all of a sudden she was really, really deceived. But it says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. So it, it's, it's, it's interesting the, the way the way it it characterizes this in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Well, how do you know something is good for food just by looking at it? You go walking in in, in the woods and you say, oh, that looks good for food. I think I'll eat that. That's a good way to die. You know, so so usually what they'll teach you in these survival classes is you, if you don't know, you have to take some of it and, you know, you rub it here on your arm and you Wait a few hours, and if you see if there's any any uh, any reddening or swelling, and then if that doesn't happen, then you rub it here on the corner of your lip where there's just just uh, more sensitivity, and you see if there's any outbreak there. And so you have to go through these steps before you can eat something that's unknown. How can you just <clears throat> look at something and think it's good for food? She doesn't know that. God told her that in the day that you eat, well, God told Adam, and he translated that to her, in the day that you eat it, you're going to die. She has no idea that it's good for food. 
She has no idea. This is totally presumption. You know, she has no idea what this fruit is going to do for her. Maybe it'll give her dementia. She has no idea. She doesn't know what this fruit is going to do. Maybe, maybe the fruit will make her a vegetable. I mean, we don't know what, what the fruit is going to do to this woman. She has no idea. She just says when it, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and this is exactly what happens when we want to disobey God, we will sometimes get this feeling in, in our lives like, well, we know it's going to be fine. Well, when God has said that, the, that something is not good, it really is not good. Remember when God says, I will, when God says, I shall, when God says, it shall happen. That has to happen. There's nothing that we can do to change that. That has to happen. When God has spoken it, heaven and earth will change according to God's word. It has to happen. She saw that it was good for food. She has no way of knowing this. People will say, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and this is going to happen. I say, how do you know that's going to happen? How do you know? You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. None of us know. And then it says, and that it was a delight to the eyes. And, 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 and so that you can tell. I mean, it was a delight. It was a delight to the eyes. And, and uh, uh, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So it talks about three classes of sins in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And that's exactly what we see here. When she saw that it was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, so good for food, good for the flesh, it was delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. So you see that the, the boastful pride of life, where the enemy said to her, that Satan said to her, you will know good and evil, you will be like God. And I have had, I've sat with students to try to talk to them about the Lord. And they say, Wait, and, and this just happened just a, maybe a month ago. I was talking to a guy, he says, why would God ever want to restrict somebody from knowing? He's trying to hide something from us. I said, there's a lot of things that you don't want to know about. For example, I have never been raped. I don't want to know what it's like to be raped. I've never seen one of my children killed in front of me. Some people have. Maybe that's a good thing to, you know, knowledge is good. It's good to experience that, you know. Some people have seen that. And so what happens is, they, they, they undergo this, this PTSD, this post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't want to go through that. There's a lot of things that we don't want to see. Not all knowledge is good. Think of people who have been through terrible, horrific experiences in war. All the things that they have seen. They have a lot more knowledge about that than I have. Is that a good thing? There's nothing that I want. No way, I don't want that. So there's a lot of things that it's good for us not to know. And God was sheltering us from that. But she took of this. And it says, And she took from its fruit, and she ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So her husband was with her. She is having a conversation with Satan. She is having a, converse, a conversation with this serpent, and her husband isn't saying anything. Just having this conversation. There's no interjecting there. There's no standing in the way of this. There's no saying, hey, wait a minute. 
I told you what God said, that you can't eat of this fruit. He let her go and do whatever he, she wanted to do. I mean, we're supposed to protect one another. And so then it goes on to say, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. So they covered only their loins. This is actually the, 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 first, the first invention is the needle. The first in, invention is the, the sewing that's recorded in the Bible. So people all of a sudden start becoming industrious to cover their sin. Wow, how are we going to cover this up? And they think of all these clever ways to cover it up. But they're just covering their loins. Then it says in verse 8, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said to him, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So you see here that they covered themselves. They made these coverings. They were totally oblivious to this nakedness. Now remember, this whole thing of nakedness between a man and a woman, you will never know outside the bonds of marriage. The innocence in that act outside the bonds of marriage. You will never know it. And if the woman is treated wrongly in marriage, if she's treated with objectification in marriage, as if she's a tool for the man, she will never feel comfortable even in marriage like that. These things are things that come in marriage and that's what it's for. Outside of marriage, you will never know this innocence. Only within marriage and only within a sexually properly oriented marriage will it will it have innocence and it is a good thing to know in a proper marriage when the person is not objectified on my website one of the lessons there is scriptural sexual ethics it is a six-part series you ought to listen to that if you've not listened to it before you start at part one and you work your way through to part six and it will deal with these issues specifically But it says in verse 8, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. How did they know that this was the Lord God walking in the garden? For all I know, maybe it was an elephant. How did they know? Because they must have been familiar with His coming in the cool of the day to visit with them. They heard the sound of the Lord God. They knew the sound of Him coming. But now... The sound of him coming is terrifying to them. Before it was fine. Now all of a sudden it's terrifying. When we sin, it drives us away from the Lord. You want to be driven away from the Lord? You sin. It'll drive you away from the Lord. The Lord comes, but we hide ourselves. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. This is the first time in the Bible that we are seeing the acknowledgement of man recognizing God. Before God spoke to him, but we don't see him consciously recognizing and having a relationship. It's interesting, it's, it's sort of like health. We never realize much about health until we lose it. You know, you throw your back out and everything is messed up. I mean, you can't stand upright, you can't sit down, it's painful, you, you can't go to the bathroom, it hurts. I mean, everything hurts when your back hurts and you're like, I never thought about my back before. And now I can't stop thinking about my back. And, and this is very much like that. He had such a close relationship, he never really thought about this. And now all of a sudden it's gone. When that relationship is gone, when you've had it and that relationship is gone, it is a tremendous loss. I grew up in a family where we never talked about Jesus. We never talked about God. When I was 18 and I came to know the Lord, I loved the presence of the Lord. When he visited me that day on November 7th, 1977 and came into my life, I really felt that God is here in my life and I didn't want to lose that feeling. I can't imagine what it would be like to wake up in the morning and to not have a relationship with God. So for those of you here who are not believers, you have no idea what you're missing. You have no idea. It is such a beautiful thing to have a relationship with God, to wake up in the morning. You, you know, God is there. God only means good for me. God only intends good for me. And when I sin, he kindly reminds me to redirect me. He puts within me the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that I would cry out to him. Because Jesus has provided a way. Jesus died for me on the cross. He rose from the dead. Jesus is the one who makes the way. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. Jesus is the way. And so here, you see God coming to him in the garden in the cool of the day. And then man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Before they had this great communion, they didn't even think about it. It was like health. They don't even think about it. And now they're hiding themselves. They're hiding themselves from the Lord God. Remember, Lord God means Jehovah. This is his, his, his personal name. It's not just we're hiding ourselves from God, you know, this far off entity. This is his name. Lord is his name. That word, Yahweh, Jehovah. From the presence of the Lord God, the one whom they knew. They're hiding among the trees of the garden that God gave to them. Now, you think God didn't know the day they took it? You think, oh, wow, what a surprise. I had no idea you ate of that fruit. No, they didn't surprise God. He's going to ask them a series of questions, not because he needs to know this. He's asking them a series of questions so that they can think about themselves and what they've done. It's very much like you, you, you say to a kid, you say to your child, why did you do that? You want them to, to discuss this. You don't go, you took that. You, don't, you, don't, you, 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 you ask them series of questions to make this a teaching moment. So God comes. They're hiding. And then in verse 9, Then the Lord called out to the man, and he said to him, 
Where are you? Now, it's not like God's like, oh, no, I've lost these creatures I've made. <laughs> what am I going to do? God knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly which tree they're hiding behind. But God says, where are you? That is not just a physical location. That is a matter of state. Where are you? Where are you? What's going on in your heart right now? Where are you right now? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now you watch the commonality of human beings, the passing the blame. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. It's because of you. God, it's because of you. You're you're the one who's making me afraid. It's because of you I'm hiding. I mean, you're big, awesome, powerful guy. I mean, you created all of this stuff. You just spoke the word and all the animals went by me. You. You're the one who's scaring me. And God's like, (laughs) I didn't do this thing. You know, there's, there's, there's this powerful verse. In, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, it says, The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. We do stuff to ruin our way, and then we're like, God, why'd you let this happen? God's like, wasn't me. <laughs> you did this to yourself. The foolishness of man ruins his way. And his heart rages against the Lord. Lord, why, why, did you, why did you let my marriage fall apart? I didn't. You did. You didn't follow my ways. You never taught your family in the ways of God. You never instructed them. You never used the church as a place to instruct them. You did it. But this is the common way Our common way is to pass the blame. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Oh yeah, he's, he got new knowledge now. Before there was no problem with it. Before the innocence was not a problem. And now all of a sudden, innocence, that which was intended for innocence becomes corrupted. You partake in pornography. Bring that, you bring it right into your marriage. You can't stop. You bring it right into your marriage. Unless you deal with that, you bring it right into your marriage. And it will start affecting your marriage. The innocence of the relationship in a healthy, functioning marriage will be lost because of your participation in pornography. Because your spouse will be objectified where you are doing to that other individual the, according to the things that you're seeing in your pornography. The human heart is very wicked. He says, because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Pause. Who told you that you were naked? Adam never answers him. Who told you that you were naked? Adam never answers him. Adam's probably thinking, hmm, who told me? 
Did Eve tell me? No. Did the serpent tell me? No. The serpent's nowhere to be found. I mean, he'll get you messed up and then he leaves you and you're holding, you know, you're holding the, the stolen cash. Who told me? It's just like God said. God's showing to him. You touch of this and a new knowledge is going to come to you that's not healthy. New knowledge is going to come to you that's not healthy. And now you've set yourself up for a life of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a lot of things that I haven't seen in life. And I am happy that I haven't seen it. I never had a boss push themselves upon me for sexual favors in order to keep my job. Some of you have. And I'm glad I've never had to go through that. There's many things I've not had to go through and I'm happy for it and I never want to have to experience that. Adam has set himself up for a life of PTSD. So God asks him this question. He doesn't have an answer. He doesn't have an answer. So God asks another question. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? What's he doing? He's putting Adam in a place of having to confess. God is drawing Adam to a place of confession. The Lord wants from us a confession. You think that God doesn't know about our sins that we have to tell the Lord, Lord, I did this. <gasps> you did that? <gasps> I had no idea you did that. No, God knows. He brings us into a place of confession for our own sake. That's what He's doing. He's drawing him to a place of confession. He says, have you eaten from the tree of life which I commanded you? The answer should be yes. That's the answer. Well, here's how Adam answers it. The man said, <clears throat> The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. All right? Now, he does finish that sentence with the confession, I ate. He did draw out of Adam the confession. But not before he passed the blame. The woman, this woman, whom you gave to me, she gave it to me and I ate. Well, he got the confession and he didn't push it. He got the confession. Even though in that very sentence, he blamed his wife, and he blamed God. That's how insidious we are. If you think you're any different from Adam, you are not. He's the prototypical human. So he stops there. Once the man said, I ate, he's done. He got from them the confession. That's why confession is so important. Don't pass this by. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She confessed. I ate. But not before she was passing the blame to the servant. The serpent deceived me. You know, I've, I've had a really stressful life. You know, if, if you know. You know, I never really went to school, Lord. I never went to, never had theology lessons, except a few from you as you walked through the garden. But I never went to a real Bible college. 
How did I know about this serpent? You know, I'm really not to blame. I'm the victim here, Lord. I'm the victim. That's exactly what we do. And we pass this thing off even in people. Oh, this person's a victim. Yes, they just shot this person, but they grew up in a bad home. God holds them responsible. We can't just pass this thing off as, oh, the, 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 the offender is always the victim. If she were the victim, God would have dealt with her very differently. She wasn't the victim. She listened to the voice of the devil. And she ate. You know, this, this word, the serpent deceived me, it can be translated, lifted me up. And so if you read in Jewish literature, they'll say lifted me up, that this was even a confession of rebellion. The serpent lifted me up. Now I know more. We don't know if that's right, if that's what he meant. But the judgment that's going to come upon her to put her down may be because she was exalted saying, look, I've been lifted up. Smarter than you think I would be. Or, if you look in the Young's literal translation, it's translated, the serpent made me forget and I ate. In other words, if it's translated, made me forget, it's like, I didn't remember that I'm not supposed to eat. But that's a lie. Because it says, further up in the chapter, the Lord God told us we can't eat of that because in the day that we eat it, we die. So in the process of her confession, she may have been lying. It's translated in many, in many modern translations as, as the serpent deceived me, which could embody, lifted me up, or made me forget, but deceived me. We're not sure exactly what the translation of that is. But she did say, I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent. So you see, he's not extracting a confession from the serpent. The serpent's in different territory. He doesn't question the serpent. He doesn't say, tell me about this. Sit down on the couch here. Let me, let me, let me help you. No, he treats the servant very differently. Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, but you shall bruise him on the heel. So you see, he curses the serpent. He does not curse Eve or Adam, but he curses the serpent. The first thing he says to him, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle. He had already been thrown down. Now God is cursing him even more. And he puts him down on your belly you shall go, which is why the Jewish literature takes the translation of Eve, he has lifted me up. That God put Satan down now on his belly so he's never going to lift up anyone again. But he curses him and he says, on your belly you'll go and I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman 
between your seed and her seed. This is the first promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first indication that God is going to do something through the seed of this woman. Now, Eve took this and thought that one of her actual sons was going to be the deliverer. And you can see this in the way the proclamation she's going to make when her boys were born. She didn't know that the deliverer was not going to be her immediate offspring. But she took it as that. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Meaning that Jesus is going to crush your head, you serpent. This is the beginning of the prophecy right there in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. It all goes back to our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and he dies for our sins. And in that, the Bible says he defeats death. Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated the enemy. Right there on the cross, He defeated the enemy. And the testimony was given in His resurrection. He crushed the head of the devil. The New Testament says, He came and He gave us power over sin, power over death. Adam, the first man, brought sin into the world. And Jesus came and He liberated us from that. It all gets back to Jesus. Jesus is the one. Then He says to the woman, Look at the curse he gives, the, the, the things that he, he brings upon the woman. He never cursed her. He says, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Not that I'll multiply your pain, but I will greatly multiply your pain. I saw my wife give birth to two of my children, just totally natural, no nothing, just, and I don't want to, I'm glad she was doing it and not me. I mean, it, it was rough for her. And I just stood there and say, just breathe, breathe. <laughs> and that's why I could never understand when, when men say, we gave birth. <laughs> this is, I never say that. I, I never went through anything like what she went through. And then for the other two children, she got these epidurals and she was like, this is so much easier. Why didn't I do this before? Anyway, so there's a huge amount of pain. I will greatly multiply your, your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This is part of the curse. He doesn't curse her specifically, but this is part of the fall. What's part of the fall? He will rule over you. Your husband will rule over you. It was never the intent prior to the fall. It was never the intent for man to rule over a woman. He will rule over you is part of the fall. Your desire will be for your husband. This is why I, you know, sometimes I see women go undergo tremendous verbal and physical abuse from their husbands. And they still desire to be with this man. Well, this is exactly what it says. Your desire will be for, your, for him even when he rules over you. It was never intended to be that way. The innocence of the garden was never tended to be that way. In, in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus explains the gospel 
the good news of Jesus Christ. He says in Matthew 20, verse 25, he says, But Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for many. Jesus turned the whole thing back. When Jesus came, he turned the whole thing back. He says, it was never intended to be this way. Yes, the world loves to dominate one over another. I'm in charge of you, I'm in charge of you. Jesus said, you want to be in charge? It's servanthood. You want to be the best? It's slavehood. A total self-donation, one for the other. You get that into the sexual relationship in marriage and everything changes. It's no longer about me and my satisfaction in this act. It is about you. What is it you would like? What is it you want? A total self-donation, one for the other, and then you will never lack. When you get this thing correct in marriage, you will never lack. And this is what I talk about in that, in that series of teachings. You've got to start at part one, because if you go to the end without this, it, it won't make sense. You get this right and everything changes. And particularly for women, some of them have been so bruised through the sexual experiences, that they get into marriage and, and everything is messed up and they've got to be totally recalibrated. Or even within marriage, it was started in a wrong way. And you got to be totally recalibrated in this. But Jesus himself says that it was never meant to be this way. It's this, it's this, uh, uh, this, self-donation one for another, even in the marriage relationship in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That came upon the woman that your husband will dominate you. He'll rule over you. I mean, what kind of word is that? Your, your husband now is going to rule over you as if you're a fish of the sea? He's going to rule over you? Like he gave them dominance over the animals? and the beasts of the field, he never gave that to man over woman prior to the fall. Yet in the midst of that, he says to the woman, you're going to have trouble breaking away from him because your desire is going to be for him even when he abuses you. Your desire will be for him. That's part of the fall. It was never meant to be that way. God has for us in Christ, in the gospel, something so much richer This is why I implore you to know Jesus Christ. Know Him. He has changed it for us. Jesus has given His life for us. The total self-donation, one for another. As as we read in in that portion in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 20, in in the last verse of that, uh, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many, to give his life a ransom for many. When your spouse understands, when you say to them, this is for you, my life is for you, it is a total self-donation one for the other, then there is a flowing in marriage. Like, like it, it just becomes so enjoyable. Marriage becomes really enjoyable when it's total self-donation one for the other. And you delight in serving the other. 
both in the things of, that you have to go through life doing and also in the sexual relationship. When it's a total self-donation, one for the other, it's not about me anymore. Then everything changes. You cannot know this without the gospel. You cannot know this without Christ. In Him is everything. Our salvation is in Him. He is the one who demonstrates for us His life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. And I pray for these young people in Jesus' name. Father, for those here who do not know You, Father, that they would come to know Jesus. He who gave His life as a ransom for their life. He who said, I will willingly lay down my life for You. Father, I pray that these unbelievers here would pray this very day, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Come into my life and fill me with the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for the believers that are here that You will so work and move in their lives, that You will work and move in their lives, that they will begin to understand this, that the men and women in this class will start to understand what Jesus said when it is not, when He said, it is not this way among you. It is not lording over one over the other. But it is a, a subjecting oneself one to the other. Father, I pray for healthy marriages from the young people in these classes. Father, your healthy marriages upon them, I pray, that they would come to understand what was the fall and how great was the redemption in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you have done everything, everything. You have paved the way and opened the door and redeemed us. It is because of you, Lord Jesus. And thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who fills us, who allows us to walk in this, who confirms the word to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, your power upon these young people, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.